Well, praise the Lord. Thank you so much, Lisa. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. We go back into Matthew. We finished Christmas. We're all excited about it. It was a tremendous time leading up to it, and in about an hour, it was all over with. <laughs> and then yesterday, to see the taillights of the last car leave... I see some of y'all know what I'm talking about, amen? <laughs> no, what a tremendous time it's been. I want to say also thank you to, uh, we, we forget sometimes, but Jason uh, is the one who kind of takes over the live stream. As I was driving over here from uh, Mason Creek this morning, we've got folks in Missouri, folks in uh, Arkansas, uh, some in Kenya, um, where was the other, Colorado, all watching our services live this morning. And uh, I praise God for that and praise God for the, the technology to, for somebody to know how to do it. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, and Lisa's song, I guess, pointed it out explicitly. I want to ask the question this morning, can we really, I mean honestly, dead level honestly, can we legitimately Call Jesus Lord. Can we really do it? Stand with me, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. Beginning in verse 21, chapter 7, Matthew. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Father, thank you this morning. Christ is still Lord. And Lord, nobody can take that away from you. But Father, each one of us here in this place today determine how much of that really is true in our lives. And I pray, Lord Jesus, you speak to us through your Holy Spirit, that we would leave 2019, getting ready for 2020, to do more for the glory of God than we've ever done before. But before any of that happens, would you search our souls this morning and make sure that we're not in this group that you say, I never knew you. Speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus. We love you. Amen. When God, thank you, you may be seated. When God directed me in this passage, I was in trouble because I knew, you know, preachers always got to scrutinize his life before he gets up and preaches it. And uh, the bottom line, uh, I preached on prayer many times when my prayer life probably lacked a whole lot. I preached on soul winning, telling folk you need to be a soul winner when the real truth is uh, that wasn't really part of my heart either. And I urged people to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ when I knew maybe my surrender was not complete either. The bottom line is this. Uh, I want people to think I'm a good Christian. Amen? Are you with me? But the bottom line is I'm a lot better Pharisee than I am a Christian. I'm good at looking at you and telling you what's wrong with you and what you need to do rather than looking in the mirror and saying, this is what I need to do. And uh, 
I mean, I, I'm a staunch believer. I've got my Bible marked up with the best of them. I give tithes and offerings. I believe in er- absolute inerrancy of the Scripture. But uh, I sometimes wonder what the Lord's going to say on that day of judgment. At the judgment seat of Christ, believers are going to be judged to determine their rewards. This passage is even more frightening and more direct than that. Because in Matthew 7, Jesus is talking to people who come to church. He's talking to people who sing the hymns. He's talking to people who put their money in the plate. He's talking to people who serve as greeters and serve as committee members and ushers and Sunday school teachers and even preachers who preach the gospel. But they're not saved. They're fake. They're they're a lie. You can't drink from the devil's cup on Saturday night and from the Lord's cup on Sunday morning and think you're a Christian. If the Holy Spirit's not there warning you of some things, something's wrong in your life. Now, let me give you four things here just explicitly that this points out. Number one, I want you to notice that there is a tremendous revelation here. Uh, I can't remember if it's Mosey Lister or Jake Hess, but I have an old song, and it says this, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. I can't remember which one it is. Is it Jake Hess? But I want to tell you, verse 21, Jesus says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to tell you, that's bad enough when we're talking about serial killers and and axe murderers and child molesters that they're going to hell. That's bad enough. But he's not talking about those folks. He's talking about those of us in this building today. He's talking about those who say, I love Jesus, and yet they've never had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas was probably one of the greatest examples. And I'm asked every week, all the time, why do you think Judas was chosen? Why did Judas have to do that? I I think Jesus answered him in John 6, uh, verse 70, have not chosen you 12, one of you is the devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Uh, I think Judas was chosen to show us the depravity of man. Could I let you in on a secret here this morning? Ain't a one of you in this place righteous. No, not one. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you the word of God tells all of us that. And I think when you look at Judas, Jeremiah says it like this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So he shows us the depravity of our own heart. He was also, of course, chosen to fulfill the scriptures. John 13, 18 tells us that. But I think he was also chosen to show us the danger of hypocrisy. People all the time, I'd go to church, but you got some hypocrites in your church. Well, my goodness, you can go to church with the hypocrites or go to hell with the hypocrites. You pick which one you want. I want to tell you, we're all hypocritical in in our own ways. Then I think he was chosen to provide an impartial witness for the deity of God, of Jesus. You see, when he went out after he had betrayed Jesus, the thing he did, he brought the money back and said, I have betrayed innocent blood. He's saying, even though I'm going to hell, I want to tell you right now, there is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Here's this money, threw it down, went out and hanged himself. But probably more than all of that, I think maybe Judas was chosen 
to kind of show us how close you can get to Jesus and still not be saved. <laughs> I mean, this is a guy that listened to every sermon Jesus preached. He saw Jesus walk on the water and he saw him turn the water into wine. He saw the Son of God raise the dead and open the eyes of the blind. He heard the divine wisdom. He broke bread with the Lord at his table. He walked by his side through all those miles. He heard Jesus pray. Never saw him sin one time, but he was not saved. Now, lest you think he was, John 17, 12 said Jesus was referring to Judas when he said, those that thou hast given me I have kept and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. That pretty well sums it up. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, when Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, he kissed the door to heaven and went to hell. I mean, that's how close you can be. Judas is an example that you can walk hand in hand with the Lord and still not be saved. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then they respond back to him. That's what we normally do. Somebody says, I don't know you. Oh, yeah, let me tell you how you know me. And they respond back. They said in verse 23, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils? In thy name done many wonderful works? That was their sorrowful response. Now, let me just kind of dissect this here because this is exciting. This is an earnest group. They're sincere. This is not a bunch of backsliders. This is not a bunch of no good people here. We're talking about, they said, Lord, you've got to know us. We prophesied. We cast out demons. We saw many wonderful works. That's how we know that you know us. What a response. They're earnest. They're sincere. You remember in Matthew 25, the story Jesus told of the ten virgins and, and uh, behold, the bridegroom cometh, the foolish virgin said to the wise virgins, give us of your oil, our lamps are gone out. And the wise virgins who, who, had not, who had taken enough oil for their own lamps replied this, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But you go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And of course, when they were gone, the Lord came and, and they're crying, Lord, Lord, open the door. And the bridegroom said, verily I say unto you, I know you not. They were earnest, they were sincere, but they were shut out. Now, you listen to me this morning, but you don't get anything else. You can be sincerely wrong. You can say there is no devil like the world wants you to say all you want to, but he's still there. You can say there's no resurrection all you want to, but it still does not negate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying is when you hear people say, well, they're sincere, you know. They're sincere in what they believe. Listen, these people were earnest. They were sincere. Not only earnest, it's an enormous group. The Bible says many will say unto me in that day. Most people are on the superhighway that leads to destruction. That's what he's teaching here. Men love excitement, adventure. We do it in different ways. Some men like the adventure of being out on the lake on a boat flying. You know, some men like the adventure of jumping out of airplanes. My adventure I love is to get behind the wheel of a car in about eight lanes of traffic, 70, 75, 80 mile an hour, like 635. My favorite place in all this world is the Katy Freeway 
between Houston and Katy, 12 lanes both ways. I mean, you, you got, I mean, what excitement that is. What excitement. My wife, she, she won't even go to Dallas with me. We, we, we've, all, we've all got uh, experience with that. 10, 12 lanes, but let me tell you, those lanes are like a drop in the bucket to the lanes of eternity that are leading people to destruction. Billy Graham said this 25 years ago. He's doubted if 25% of the church members were saved. 25%. I'm thinking, come on now. But then I look around and, man, you're here. Praise the Lord. But could I tell you that if we have 800 here on a Sunday morning, we have 2,500 that are on roll, and 1,000 of them we can't find with an FBI search warrant. So it's kind of easy to see how there are a lot of people in the church. Charles Finney was one of the greatest evangelists, and he never preached anything except to professing Christians because he said the field is wider in the church than any other place there is. Huh. It's an earnest group. It's an enormous group. It's an effective group. There's not a bunch of no-gooders in here. They're cashing out demons. They're showing wonderful signs. They're healing people. They're working. They're effective. Preaching. All of those things. You remember when the disciples went out and they came back and said, Lord, we're so thrilled. It's been a tremendous day. We've cast out demons. We've touched people in their Eyes have been opened up, and, and, and then there's, there's times when they were lame, and we've helped them walk, and, oh, Lord, it's just been glorious. You remember what the Lord told them? He said, all those things are great. But he said, I'm going to tell you what you need to rejoice about. You need to rejoice that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Because, see, you can do all the miracles you want to. If you go to hell, so what? You can help all the people you want to, but if your soul is not eternally bound, you've missed it. You've been shut out. Well, there's a revelation. There's a really substandard response. They're responding the best they can. But look at the requirements. Preacher, how do you know if I'm going to go to heaven? How do I know if I can go to heaven? Well, I'm glad you asked because the Bible is explicit here in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. The person who does the will of God shows evidence of genuine salvation. Doing the will of God. You say, well, that means we got to find out the will of God. I'm glad you asked. It's real simple. Now, there are some things... The will of God for your personal life may be difficult. You may have to pray and you may have to fast. But I will tell you, there's five things in here that's so much the will of God you don't even have to pray about. The first sign it's the will of God, it's the will of God that you be saved. The Bible says it's not his will any perish but all come to life. If you don't get your salvation nailed down first, then everything else is irrelevant. God's will is for you to be saved. Uh, the natural man, he says, does not know the things of the Spirit of God because they're spiritually discerned. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, let me put it on a level that you can understand it. Men, you are never going to understand women. 
You're just not going to understand. Now, I'm not being facetious. I'm not being ugly. I'm just telling you, you're not a woman. You can try to be if you want to. That ain't going to help you. Uh, you will never understand the female personality. You're not going to do it. People much smarter than you have been trying to do it for years. You know why? Because you're not a female. And that's what he's saying here about the Scripture. You're not going to be able to understand the things of God unless you are a born-again child of God. Because your nature is not that of spiritual, it's that of carnal. So you've got to be saved. And then it's his will for us to be spirit-filled. There, I said it. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. I tell you, I've never seen so many Baptists break out in the hives when you start talking about the Holy Ghost of God. Ephesians tells us this, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Mm, what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, we've got folks. The Old Testament, I think one of their greatest problems is they rejected God the Father. In the New Testament, their problem was they rejected Jesus the Son. But in our day and age, most of our churches today are rejecting the Holy Spirit. We're saying, oh, we don't want to get crazy. We don't want to get crazy. Well, the language in Ephesians 18 is be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a continual filling going on. I had breakfast early this morning. I'm already hungry. I'm going to have to fill myself up again. That's the best shot you've got right there that I'm hungry. That's the best shot you've got going for you. You drive your car all you want to, but if you don't refill that thing with fuel, there will come a time when somebody's going to see you parked on the side of the road because you've got to refuel it. As children of God, that's one reason we come in here on Sunday morning so we can refill our, ourselves and get, get ourselves right with the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, sometimes people want to get weird on you. Uh, I, I, uh, Vance Habner tells this story. He said there was a blind man, and he said, Jesus touched me once, and I can see, and if you want to be right with God, you've got to be touched once. The next guy comes along, and he said, well, I'm blind too, but Jesus touched me twice. He touched me the first time. I saw trees, men as trees walking around. Then he touched me again. Now I can really see. If you really want to be right with God, you've got to be touched twice. The third blind man came along and said, I'm sorry to differ, but Y'all are both wrong. I was blind. Jesus spit in the dirt, made clay, daubed it in my eyes, told me to go to the pool of Siloam, wash it off. If you really want to be right with God, you've got to do that. Vance Havner said, if those three guys were around here today, we'd have three new churches before Friday. The once-touched church, the twice-touched church, and the spit-in-the-eye church. <laughs> we got folks who want to pick and choose. Listen, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, we can differ on when that happens but we need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to live a Spirit-filled life, if you want to be in obedience to God, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So it's the will of God you be saved. It's the will of God that you be Spirit-filled. And then thirdly, it's the will of God that you be sanctified. Now, I know that's a process. First Thessalonians says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. We live in a sin-sick sex-saturated world today. We almost never go to a movie because, I mean, Hollywood is trash. We went to one this week, Frozen 2. 
you know you're getting old when you're sitting there and enjoying that thing, amen? I mean, you're, they say you go through that second childhood and you, you know you're getting old there. But there was a time, some of you in this place will remember it, 1939, Clark Gable, gone with the wind, said one four-letter word and turned this country upside down. Now, where's the morality at today? Where's the absolute truth at today? Where, where, where is, what happened? Where do we throw all of it out? Somewhere in this last generation, all of that's gone. Dr. Madison Surratt taught mathematics at Vanderbilt for many years. And before he, he would give a test, he'd say, there's two things you need to understand here on this test. I'm giving you a test, one in trigonometry and the other in honesty. And he said, I hope you'll pass both of them, but if you got to fail one, fail trigonometry. Because he said, there are many good people in the world who cannot pass trigonometry, but there are no good people in the world who cannot pass the examination of honesty. Wow. How can you really be legitimately call Jesus Lord by doing the will of God, which includes being saved. It includes a spirit-filled life. It includes being sanctified. It can also includes being submissive. First mm. Peter 2, 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent in by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence ignorance of foolish men. I believe we ought to honor those in authority over us. This church has paid, prayed for our presidents in the past, ones that we may not have agreed with, ones that we don't like, ones that we do like. It doesn't make any difference. The office of the president is important for us to respect and get, show authority to, and we ought to be showing that. That's part of it here. I believe we ought to submit to our government by paying taxes. I think they're too high. I gripe about them all the time, but we pay taxes because that's what the government says. I think we ought to drive within the speed limit. I put that in there. I know that I'm cleaned up on the outside, but on the inside, there's still that filthy man. Uh, but if you do get a ticket, you can ask my boys. They would say, Dad, you, you speed. And I'd say, when they catch me, I say, yes, sir, and they write the ticket, and we go on. Now, God's blessed me in that avenue, but we ought to obey the speed limit. We ought, <laughs> we ought to drive with our seat belts on. I hate seat belts, but I tell you, it's a law, so we ought to drive with our seat belts on. We ought not to fish without a license. Mm. We ought not to make loud noises in the middle of the night to disturb our neighbors. I mean, there's, there's hundreds of things we ought not to do and hundreds of things we ought to do. But I'm going to tell you, the truth is being a Christian today is putting us more at odds every day with the government system that we've got. I mean, it's harder and harder to be a Christian. The Journal of Medical Ethics recently stating this, that killing babies is not different from abortion. The journal said newborn babies are not actual persons and do not have a moral right to life. Parents should be able to have their baby killed if that's their desire. So, preacher, is that crazy? That's the world we live in, folk. We're sheltered down here in the pine trees 
But I want to tell you that this is still the world. Now let me give you the last mark of being a Christian, being the will of God. You're not going to like this one. It's suffering. You'll know you are in the will of God if you're able to suffer. See, some folk don't want to suffer anymore. 1 Peter 4.19 says this, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. God's will for us is to suffer. We, listen, we ought not to give up when going gets tough. Henry Ford, the great automobile manufacturer, he really was a lot better with people than he was manufacturing automobiles. He said, I got two kinds of workers in my factory, those who call in sick and those who crawl in sick. And I want to tell you, as a, as a child of God, we've got a lot of Christians that have called in sick when we ought to be on our knees suffering a little bit, crawling in sick for the glory of God. You know what the greatest football team in the history of the America is? Now, surely nobody's going to say Oklahoma after what happened yesterday. <laughs> or even Ohio State. Where you at, Jeff? Uh, surely not that. There'd be some of you say, well, it'd be Notre Dame, it'd be Alabama. You'd all be wrong. The greatest college football team in the history of the United States was a team from the University of the South, which is in East Tennessee. In 1899, they had 12 players. Now, if you know anything about football, there's 11 on offense, 11 on defense. You got 12, that means everybody's playing all the time, except one guy gets substituted back and forth. 12 players, all they had. They were the Tigers. They got on a, a, a train, and in one week, in six days, they beat Texas, they beat Texas A&M, they beat Tulane, they beat LSU, and they beat Mississippi. And not one of those teams scored one point. Not one. That, that year, they went 12-0, and 0, and they outscored their opponents 332-10. to 10. You say, well, what makes them so great? Well, our, our college is today, you play one game a week. And then we've got sophisticated hot tubs. and all. Listen, there's no hot tubs in 1899. There's no airplanes. They played five games in six days. Now, let me tell you what. The more I researched it, the more I wow. Their helmets, you know, we talk about football helmets today. Scott, their helmets, you could take off out of leather and put them in your back pocket. There wasn't no pads. I mean, these guys got out there and played football. You say, well, what is the point? I'm trying to tell you that in five games in six days, some of those boys were hurt like rip, but they played anyway. I know this morning, listen to me, and my heart breaks. I can't think about it very long. I'll start weeping. I know there are those of you this morning who are hurting. I know those of you are discouraged. But let me tell you, don't quit. Keep on going. Yeah, some of you this morning, I, get, I know some of you this morning, you spent 30 minutes rubbing liniment on your shoulder or your knee or anything trying to get ready to come up here to the house of God. And I praise God for you. These Christians that Peter wrote to were being slaughtered. And yet he said, rejoice. Rejoice. Praise God. 
Continue to do good. Sure, you're hurt, but stay in the game. I think God's looking for some hurting people today that he wants to bless. Let me give you the last thing, and I'm through. <laughs> it's the Savior's rejection of them. Jesus said in verse 23, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Wow. I never knew you. Folks who had prophesied, folks who had done everything for the glory of God, and yet I never knew you. Daniel Curry was a Methodist circuit-riding preacher. And uh, one night in a storm in the Nebraska prairies, he lost his way. He dismounted, unsaddled it, tied his horse up to a, uh, a place, a rock there, and built a fire, cooked some supper. Then by the light of the fire, read his Bible, lifted his heart up to God, stretched out on a blanket, and went to sleep. And uh, while he was asleep, he dreamed, and an angel came and, and got him and uh, took him to the gates of heaven. And uh, he got there at the gates of heaven, and, and, and the angel said, what's your reason for being here? And the preacher said, well, my name's Daniel Curry. I'm a Methodist preacher, and I've come to claim the mansion that Jesus had built for me. And the angel lifted up the pages of the book, and he said, well, I'm sorry, sir, but your name's not in this book. There's no place for you in heaven. And old David Curry said, I don't care whether my name's in your book or not. I know I'm saved. My name's in the Lamb's book of life, and I, I, I'm going to heaven. And the angel said, well, you want to go argue it out with God? And he said, well, not particularly. But he said, if that's the only way I can get into heaven, I'll go argue with God. So the angel took him up, flew him up there, spread the wings, dropped him there. He said the light was sobriety, you know, he, he couldn't even see. He had to close his eyes and everything. And then it was so powerful, he couldn't stand up. He, he, he had to fall prostrate on his face there. And he lost all his strength. Uh, his, his mind refused to work. His, his lips were sealed. Uh, the presence that he was speaking. And from on the throne came the voice, Who art thou and what seekest thou? And it kept coming, who art thou and what seekest thou? And just as the preacher said, he could feel hell on his feet. He could feel him getting warm on his feet. There was a soft murmur of cloth rubbing against cloth. Somebody came over to his side, bent over him. The figure at Curry's side spoke gently just like a summer breeze and said, whatsoever sins he's committed, whatsoever transgressions may blot his record, Whatsoever iniquities may stain his past, charge them all to me. It was Jesus. He said, Daniel Curry confessed me before men, and now I'm confessing him before my heavenly Father. Boy, we used to sing an old song. I tried to look it up. It's not even in our hymnals. It may be in this one, but... Uh, it starts out, it has a first verse, but the second verse is the one I love. It says, all my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe, and Jesus placed his strong and loving arms around me, and he led me in the way I ought to go. No one ever cared for me like Jesus there's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. 
Oh, how much he cared for me. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus loves you. Just where you are, however you came in this place this morning, he loves you. And his desire and his will for you is to be saved. And listen, it breaks my heart that anybody would go to hell. But I'll tell you, I don't think I can stand my thoughts to think that men of God have preached in this pulpit, great men of God have preached in this pulpit year after year. And some of you sit out there and still be lost without Jesus. I'm begging you this morning, end of 2019, confessing your sins, repenting of your sins, and saying, I want to let Jesus have full control of my life. I believe it will help 2020 to become the best year you've ever had in your life if you'll put Jesus in charge of everything. And folk, I want to just be honest with you. It doesn't matter if you're a deacon. It doesn't matter if you're a deacon's wife. It doesn't matter if you're the preacher's wife. It doesn't matter if you're a preacher. You've heard Brother Herman tell you this a hundred times, and me too. All these labels are going to fall off on the way up or they're going to burn off on the way down. And it doesn't make any difference. What matters is do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Father, thank you this morning for your word. Lord, our hearts are broken that the road is broad and wide as the way that leads to destruction. Lord, there's not anything we can do about that. But, oh, God, we can do all we can to prepare people right now. Some of them in this place, in order to be prepared for you to come again, need to be saved, and they need to be saved today. There are others in this place that know they're saved, but they need a church home to serve. They need to do it today. God, would you let your Holy Spirit have freedom in this service to touch lives and, uh, Lord, to, to just let yourself be known. Every one of us in this place, Lord, we need to hear from you fresh today. Would you have your way? Lord, would you just let these altars be filled with people who are crying out, saying, I want Jesus more than anything in my life. I want to serve the Lord more than ever before in my life. I want to make him king of kings and Lord of lords right now in my life. Your will be done, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Would you stand together? Brother Aaron leads us in this invitation. You come. Don't linger. Come on. Come on. Just as you are. Come on. Altars are open. You come and pray. Was shared for me, and God, thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God. I come. Oh,
sermons that you don't holler and shout and think a lot about, but I pray that you'll go home today and you'll examine your heart and your soul. Uh, my phone number's in the uh, bulletin as long as, as well as Brother Case and different ones, and, and uh, we'd love to talk to you about the Lord anytime, day or night. The most important decision you'll ever make 
is whether or not you trust Christ as your Savior. Most important decision. Uh, let me encourage you now, no night services uh, tonight, but don't forget Tuesday night we're meeting at Mason Creek, Bring Finger Foods. Somebody put on Facebook, and I've declared it, that uh, I may be old, but if I take a nap, I can party till dark. So that uh, starts over there about dark at 6 o'clock. If you come, bring some food. We're going to have games and all over in the fellowship hall at Mason Creek. And then next Sunday, my soul, whatever you do, do not miss next Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Uh, Brother Case is going to start out preaching here. Dr. Jim Moss over at Mason Creek, and then Jim will be here for the 1030 service that night. Brother Malcolm Ellis, and then Dr. Lloyd Scott from Port Arthur will be here. The Wisnets will be here Sunday and Monday. And then Brother Malcolm and Herb Revis on uh, Monday night. And then Mark Trammell Quartet will be here Tuesday night. And uh, Brother Herman Kramer and Dr. Herb Revis will preach Tuesday night. Monday and Tuesday we'll have noon services, 1145 out at Mason Creek. Brother Mark Humble will be doing both of those. And it's gonna, it's, it is going to be a highlight of a week. You do not want to miss it, all right? Let me just welcome you this morning, Miss Edna Vaughn. Miss Edna, you feel like standing? You want to just sit right there? You okay? Okay. Yeah, well, I, honey, I learned a long time ago, old ain't got nothing to do with it. It's the mileage. <laughs> yeah, amen. Come stand with her here, uh, Julie. Uh, she comes by promise of letter from a sister church. If you receive her, would you say amen, clap, do whatever you want, Okay. Please come by and welcome her and uh, into the fellowship at Woodland Hills. And then remember to pray for Patty. She's in Belize on a mission trip. Jason is leaving with a couple of young people, going to Vider this afternoon on a mission trip there. They'll be there Monday, Tuesday, and be back uh, Wednesday. So pray for them as they're gone also on that trip, all right? Would you reach over and join hands together? I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Brother Steve Williamson, lead us in prayer, please. 